Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, we have three to one go with Cosmo Macero with a special round-robin hot topics, an interview with Ted Rebholt, CEO and founder of Temescal Wellness, and in two minutes with Tom this week, Chris Tracy from our office steps in to talk about the state of the city. First up, three, two, one, go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321GO on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321GO, it's a hot take round robin with a panel of contributors from every corner of the OA On Air universe. We'll look at the backlash and public conversations swirling around Gillette's so-called toxic masculinity ad a controversial new take on the classic Best a Man Can Get campaign. And the cost of going out to eat is getting higher and higher. When do you think it's even worth it to splurge on a meal out? How many of your weekly meals do you eat out? And what about that classic The Business Lunch? Is that still even a thing these days? Finally, Facebook is spending $300 million to support local journalism. That's welcome relief for struggling local news outlets But no doubt, Facebook is pursuing its own agenda and objectives. We'll discuss. Joining me here on 321GO is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA On Air. And Brooke Sion. Hello. Our podcast production whiz and de facto executive producer. Also, Hugh Drummond. Hey there. The OA king of all things marketing as well as a veteran political and communications advisor. And finally, Ashley Locken. How's it going? Our talented millennial editor and a close observer of social and digital media trends. All right, Kyan, let's start with you. Gillette has this powerful new ad urging men to be an example for compassion and respect in the age of Me Too. It's sparking something of a backlash. This is a take on their very traditional, very classic best a man can get campaign and, and the and the target though is addressing toxic masculinity uh the ad has produced a lot of backlash a lot of people saying hey wait a second don't lecture me about how to be a dad a boyfriend or anything else that's implied in that ad what do you think i think it's a great ad i think it's unfortunate that it's needed um for all the people who have said i'm no longer going to buy gillette products i will go and make sure that i buy gillette products wow you say the campaign is needed in America, not just like a good, it's needed, you're saying. I, yeah, I think it's unfortunate, but it's needed. And not every man falls under this umbrella. And if, if you don't fall under this, good for you. You're already doing the right thing. But there are plenty of men out there who aren't. And that's not to say that there couldn't be a female ad, something similar. But yeah, toxic masculinity is a problem. And there are pieces of the ad where, ee, but um, I think overall, it's a great message. Why not be the best you can be? All right. Hugh Drummond. Yeah, I agree completely. Great ad. Uh, you know, kids aren't born bad. They, they learn to be bad. And so anything that, that, that helps uh, grown-ups kind of take a look at their own behavior, look in the mirror a little bit, good, good for Gillette. All right. Ashley. My initial thought was this is long overdue. Why are we just now deciding to teach men uh, decency? Goodbye. Might take two things real quick. 
any ad, like the Nike ad, like the others that we've talked about in the past year, if it's got your attention, it's working. Everyone's talking about it. Number two, that clip of all those guys down the street at their, you know, grilling, it's awesome. It's like the Breck ad of the 21st century. And they'll tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends, boys will be boys, boys will be boys. Great stuff, great imagery. Boom, we're done. All right, up next, it's getting more expensive to eat out, especially at full-service sit-down restaurants. They raised their prices the most in more than seven years in December. That's according to the U.S. Labor Department. Now, grocery costs are increasing, but at a much slower rate. The implication or the suggestion is that more and more people will choose to eat more meals at home and pass on eating out. Um, Brookstein, let's start with you. I know you eat out at least occasionally, or maybe, or maybe, or maybe every meal. All the time, yeah. So you're talking to someone who routinely burns pasta, and the last time I tried to cook an egg, I just threw the frying pan away. <laughs> so um, I would say I eat out twice a day, pretty much every day. Sometimes on the weekends, I'll just order one large meal and sort of eat it all day. But I have noticed, yes, that since I've gotten to college, where I also ate out almost every day, I am spending significantly more money now than I used to, to the point that I did buy a cookbook last week, haven't opened it yet, might get there, but I checked my bank statement like in January at some point a couple weeks ago. I spent $12,000 on takeout last year. So that's what happens when you live in Boston and you don't cook. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. All right. Hugh Drummond, let me ask you a question. And I, it, is the because part of this report, or the report's focused on sort of sit down, is, is the value you get or the experience you get from 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 a sitting down to a you know I won't say lavish but at least a co- a complete meal with your family is it even worth the expense at this point more than occasionally because some people are still doing that a couple times a week uh, yeah I'm not one of them <laughs> the uh, listen I think there is something to be said for the experience of dining out I I, I enjoy dining out. I uh, just came off of a kitchen renovation where I had to dine out almost nightly for the last three months. So I'm kind of done with that now. I'm going to enjoy my new kitchen. But but there is something about experience. There's also something about patronizing the, the local town restaurants. I think that you can find some great experiences there that aren't high-end dining necessarily, but, you know, good community experience. Um, in terms of the high-end dining, I think it is – I think that sector is being challenged. Um, and they are trying to do a lot more to make it a real experience. So it's not just food. It's, it's, it's food paired with wine. It's food with atmosphere. It's food with service. There's all kinds of customized ways to, to approach customer service. Cayenne, how about you? Uh, it's definitely crazy expensive. I think supporting what Hugh said, it's a great experience. It's nice to change things up every now and again. But even like your local chain restaurants that maybe don't have the best food, I won't name any, um, have gotten increasingly expensive. And I know like for my husband and I, we kind of a couple of years ago, we're just like, we're only going to go out to dinner if it's worth it. Like if the food, if the service, like I'm not going to waste my time going out to dinner at like the local establishment that like the food's not that great just because you don't feel like cooking. Sure. Um, that it's got to be worth it. And um, and that goes with, you know, to that point, service, wine, good food. Um, and it's, I think, I think it's good for kids to get out too and experience that too. 
One more thing from you. Yeah, one more thing. You know, I think cooking shows have done a lot of, uh, had a great impact here. People see these chefs and, and, you know, professionals cooking. They want to do it at home. It's interesting. And people want to eat healthier now. Ashley Lockett, quick question for you. Yeah. Your single favorite place to have a meal, not including your home. In Portsmouth, New Hampshire, it's called Warren's. It's a restaurant called Warren's. A very specific answer. Very, yes, Portsmouth, very New specific, Hampshire, yes. Warren's, excellent. Yes, All right, my take second. on this, I think there needs to be, or I'd love to see a new category. You've heard of fast, it, it's, in the industry, they don't call it fast food. It's, it's uh, fast casual, it's quick serve. We need fast fine dining, right? A fast fine dining experience. So you go in... And it's going to be a more limited menu, but they've got everything prepped. They've got they've got the, the chicken and the and, and, and the and the beef ready to fire, and it's a quick experience. So I'll get myself. You can get yourself a really nice ribeye steak meal, or a nice piece of salmon, or a wonderfully prepared chicken breast with a fine side in in and out in forty five minutes. Why? Because you go in, no messing around. What do you want? You you, you know the experience is compressed. I'd do that. But the claw that'd be pretty cool. I would. That's I'd take part in that. You can use that. I like it. All right, great. All right, finally, Facebook announced this week it'll commit $300 million to journalism projects to help local outlets strengthen their news-gathering operations and build readership and subscription models. They say that we're going to continue fighting fake news, misinformation, and low-quality news on Facebook. That's according to um, Campbell Brown, Facebook's head of news partnerships. But we also have an opportunity and a responsibility to help local news organizations grow and thrive. Clearly, the um, local news, really the news media in general, the business model has been broken for years. But local news is really filling the pinch, so this is a welcome development this kind of investment in different programs that we can talk about in a moment. Hugh Drummond, what do you think of what Facebook's doing here and why? Uh, Facebook needs some good news, and this is certainly uh, part of that, in my opinion. Um, however, I also think it's a great thing. Uh, local journalism is, is uh, essential. Um, it builds the ranks of journalism as a, as a uh, profession. Um, and many in many communities, Facebook actually has been filling sort of a role of convening residents around news. So, you know, they've had you have Facebook groups and, and so forth around towns where they share news and happenings and things like that. Uh, it's not a substitute for a great newspaper in town. And so I applaud what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it's, you know news content <clears throat> Is, is critical in some ways, or, or at least very important to how Facebook operates in terms of beginning conversations. People people coalesce around a news topic and they start discussing it. All of a sudden, X number of users have been engaged with Facebook for you know an hour. Um, so that's a really important part of the model. Some of the things they're doing, uh, the funded initiatives, $20 million invested in a program to help local outlets design uh, and execute subscription and membership models, a $5 million endowment to create a grant program with the Pulitzer Center for Local multi- Multimedia Reporting Projects. Uh, and two, this is a good one here, $2 million investment in Report for America, an initiative to recruit and fund journalists to cover undercover topics in local newsrooms across the country. Again, I agree with you. I think it's a great thing. But, but Brooke, um, it, it, what is, not the downside, but 
what's the what's the flip side of this story if you're looking at Facebook with a critical eye? I mean, my biggest worry is if you're looking at Facebook, okay, so they give $300 million next year, next year they give $500 million. At what point do they start just buying local newspapers? Do you think that is ever going to be in the pipeline? Is there ever a point where it's no longer that Facebook is aggregating the news, it is that Facebook owns the news? And that, I think, is something to worry about. I don't think that's necessarily their plan, but, you know, something to think about. I think that's a really, really good observation. <clears throat> and I think that that's something that could happen. And I and I don't know if it's necessarily all bad or even half bad. It is provocative because there are news outlets that need rescuing. There's like one in every city and not to mention all, all of the other com- uh, community ones. We already have huge corporate digital America owning newspapers, right? Amazon owns the Washington Post. So it's a really good observation. Cayenne, your thought on this? Uh, that actually, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I think that's an interesting thing to think about, particularly after everything Facebook has been against in Congress over the last year plus of saying we are not a news outlet. So would they have to sort of really change their conversation around that? I think the biggest thing is, um, my first thought was this is a great PR tactic, which I'm sure is part of it. Uh, but it's the good cause, um, these outlets need journalists, and there are actually, my understanding is, no shortage of students going to journalism school and wanting to be journalists. They just don't really have anywhere to land. Uh, so I think as much investment that can be made in providing funding to hire journalists at local at the local level is vital. Excellent. All right, Ashley, thank you very much also. Um, hey, that's going to do it for our Hot Take Ron Robin here on 321Go. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thanks. 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 All right. Good times. 321GO is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masseur. That's all for 321GO. Up next, an interview with Ted Rebholtz of Temescal Wellness, straight from the company's first adult-use recreational cannabis facility in Pittsfield. Hi, Ted. How are you? Doing well, Ken. Hi. Uh, so you are opening your first adult-use recreational store for Temescal Wellness today. Indeed, day one. Tuesday, January 15th in Pittsfield. How does it feel? Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's uh, It's been a long road, um, but we're grateful for the incredible team that we have here. Um, and they've just made it as smooth as possible. They've made it a great experience for all the customers that we've seen already. And they'll make it a great experience for all the customers we'll see in the near future. Brooke and I actually were just remarking on just what a nice sort of vibe there is in this facility. Um, everyone's very knowledgeable, but very friendly. It's very upbeat and it's also very calming. Kind of all at the same time. Um, and I think that that's a real, it's got to be a nice experience for people when they're walking in the door. I'm glad you picked up on that. That, that is all very intentional. That is not by accident. Everything down to the colors that we use on the walls is intended to make people feel safe, welcomed. And once they start engaging with our staff, they realize how informative of an experience it can be. Look, we're offering something to people that has been not only illegal for generations, but deeply stigmatized. And so a lot of folks, whether you're a medical patient suffering from some really serious ailments or an adult use customer off the street, you need to know that we're here for your safety and we're also here for your health and well-being. And every one of our products is going to be exceptional. Everyone is going to be 
lab tested by an independent state licensed lab. And so that's all part of the experience. We talk about the chemical, chemical experience and the aesthetic is part of it. The products are part of it, but also every single member of our team is an integral part of it as well. Um, so to back up a little bit, uh, Tomasco Wellness, the, this is your first adult use recreational, but you have been operating um, medical marijuana facilities in Massachusetts for? Since June of last year. Okay. We opened up our first medical cannabis dispensary in Massachusetts in June 2018. Great. And um, Massachusetts is not the only state that you're operational in. That's right. Today's actually close to the one year anniversary when we opened up our dispensary in Baltimore County in Maryland. And we've been serving patients in New Hampshire for almost three years now from a location in Dover as well as up in Lebanon. So aside from um, obviously a lot of thought going into the aesthetic, you've uh, stressed all day really about your team and just uh, how, how great it, but what, uh, what else sets Temesco Wellness apart? Like why should somebody come here versus one of the other yeah, adult I, use recreational? I think, uh, you know, it, it's hard not to focus uh, on the people because their level of knowledge and their level of training is quite frankly unparalleled in the industry. I, 60 I hours, right? 60 hours and it focuses on safety, security, compliance, but also really importantly on cannabis science uh, and the cannabis products and of course the bedside manner. How do we make every single person feel comfortable? And that's a huge task because we see people, this is a retail business, we see people from all walks of life. And so to have the training to enable them to figure out in that moment, what are the verbal and nonverbal cues that they're sensing to make sure that they can create an exceptionally positive experience? That's really important for us. Um, but in addition to the people that we have, yes, we've got exceptional products. We have varieties of flour, we have varieties of extracts, and we have infused products. Everything from transdermal patches and capsules to sublingual mists uh, and sprays, and of course, edibles as well. Um, last but not least, I'd talk about where we are. We try to be as accessible to people as possible. Um, we're located here on Tin Callahan Drive in Pittsfield. Uh, we're not only proximate to the folks in Pittsfield, but throughout Berkshire County. Uh, we're not that far from the Massachusetts Turnpike here in Pittsfield. In Framingham, it's even better. We're literally right across the street from exit 13. And just like here, we've got lots of parking and good signage. In Hudson, our third location in Massachusetts, likewise, we're right off the 495. Uh, we're about the second parcel in uh, off of the exit, and we've got great signage, great visibility, and great parking. So it's easy to get to where we are. Once you're inside, you're going to be greeted by exceptional staff. And when you leave, you're going to have great products in your hand. Uh, and Hudson is next on the list of adult use recreational facilities to open, correct? That's right. um, we don't have a date for that yet, but hopefully within the next coming weeks. That's right. That's right. You know, we were really fortunate here in Pittsfield. Uh, we have surge parking literally across the street. Um, you know, we want to be as convenient as possible for people. And even in this high demand time when adult use locations are just opening up in here in Massachusetts, when our parking lot is full, we've got the extra parking lot right across the street. Mm -hmm. In Hudson, we need to find that parking lot. Um, we haven't done it yet, but we're talking to a lot of folks and, and we're going to get there. So more to come. More to come. Uh, well, it's obviously very busy. We've been hearing the phones ring. We've got doors opening. Uh, busy here at the location, but congratulations, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much.
And now, Two Minutes with Tom, where we're joined by our own Chris Tracy. So, welcome to Two Minutes with Tom, Chris. Big shoes to fill here. Yes. So, um, we are joined this week by Chris Tracy here at O'Neill and Associates. He's a senior director. He does community relations here with a focus on really more municipal city of Boston um, Mm -hmm. community relations for the most part. And he has stepped in this week for our own Tom O'Neill. And we're going to talk about the state of the city, which uh, Mayor Marty Walsh delivered the state of the city earlier this week. And you were there. I was. And gee, no pressure on me here filling Tom's <laughs> shoes. But, no, You'll thanks, do great. Thanks, Cayenne, for having me back on the podcast. Thrilled to be here. Um, I was at Symphony Hall on Tuesday evening, and Mayor Walsh uh, gave his fifth state of the city address to kick off his sixth year in office. Um, a packed symphony hall uh, that really looked like Boston, reflective of what the city looks like. Um, Just an all-around great event that the city puts on every year. Uh, They had some outstanding performers from local groups across the city singing. And uh, Mayor Walsh, we thought, did an outstanding job and really was bold and upbeat and uh, laid out his vision for the continuance of his second term. So for anyone who may have missed it um, or, you know, doesn't dig really deep into some of these issues. What were your key takeaways? My key takeaways from the speech were that he made a distinction between Boston's roaring economy and vibrant um, place that we're in right now uh, and, and compared and contrasted that from what's going on in Washington, D.C. with our federal government shutdown. He talked about how, you know, the federal policies on things like housing and climate are unclear or either not in place. And he touted that Boston has strong plans in place for housing, climate change, uh, battling the opioid epidemic, reinvesting in our city in a number of ways. So we thought um, he did an excellent job on that. So um, he's been talking a lot about sort of the way uh, he and the governor, really, Boston and and the Commonwealth are um, in a much better place than a lot of other states. Um, Do you see that sort of you know, you do a lot of work with uh, development and real estate. Like, what are you seeing in all of that space? And as far as real estate development goes, we certainly don't feel like we're in the ninth inning of this boom. Um, we feel like there is more to go. Uh, the mayor talked about the building boom. And as we've talked about on this podcast before, this is a historic building boom. It will be the biggest in Boston's history when completed. But the mayor on Tuesday night didn't just talk about that. He talked about creation of new affordable housing and trying to establish housing to maintain and keep the middle class in the city as much as possible. He talked about how many lower income units they've created over the years and what the policy is going forward to further capture uh, and create inclusionary development housing across the city going forward. So aside from housing and obviously the boom, which I think I've heard you say we're in like the seventh inning stretch maybe, um, what's next? I think uh, an an important new pivot that Walsh has taken on this year is his approach to climate change. And he made an announcement at the Boston Chamber of Commerce breakfast this year that they have a plan, which they call Resilient Boston Harbor. And his plan is to sort of attack climate change and how it affects our harbor and the neighborhoods that are most vulnerable that are on the water. And it is a, it's a strong plan with a lot of components to it. And they plan on doing uh, infrastructure work around the city on the edges of Boston Harbor to create a more resilient Boston. And, and the idea is that 
He looks at the effect that a superstorm Sandy, for example, had on the on the commerce and the economy of the New York area, and he's trying to get out ahead of that. And the city's approach is let's invest on the front end as opposed to having a disaster where we have to uh, pay for it on the back end. So, which is smart, absolutely. <laughs> we saw even what um, storms, and I do not remember their names, uh, did to the seaport in mm-hmm. Boston last year. We had mm-hmm. a couple of different storms that flooded the streets, flooded, you know, um, storefronts and, and businesses. Uh, so that's, you know, it's great to hear. If the Fort Point Channel in the Boston Harbor on the South Boston edge ever ever breached, it would obviously be a, a catastrophic problem for the seaport. But there's other a- areas like the Dorchester shoreline, East Boston, Charlestown, uh, North End, Rose mm-hmm. Wharf area. So he's he's looking at all these areas as we go forward on that. That's great. So what are you most excited about looking forward for the city? Well, a few other points besides the housing and the climate change stuff. I, I thought the mayor was strong on his reinvestment uh, in schools and libraries and parks. They're looking towards a lot of the school buildings, for example, are pre-World War II buildings. They need work. They need investment. Uh, the mayor has created this build BPS plan to improve the infrastructure. Uh, that children go to school in and BPS. And didn't and I, we just see a really big influx of money in um, Boston Public Schools? They created that B- Build BPS plan, which is the first plan they've had to fix the infrastructure in Great. a very long time. And, and I thought the mayor, once again, was strong on opioids. Uh, as he's mentioned in the past, this is a personal issue for him. Uh, he takes recovery very seriously, and it's not about making a problem go away. It's about helping people get their lives back in order. Um, he talked about how they, they brought on a, a law firm and going after pharmaceutical companies who've made money off this. And he talked again about his desire to rebuild the bridge to Long Island and re, rebuild that facility and get it back to a place where it can improve people's lives for the better. So overall, an, an, an exciting night for the city um, and definitely an exciting vision for the mayor going forward. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us. I'm sure Tom will be very proud of uh, you stepping in to to fill his shoes this week. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Just a quick note before we go, this coming Monday is Martin Luther King Day. I know a lot of people have the day off. Uh, Whether you do or you don't, you can certainly take a moment and uh, think about, appreciate sort of some of the amazing work and great things he did for us in our country. Uh, Google him. I did that today and found lots of interesting things I didn't know before. Talk to you next week.